0: Featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo. With your host,
1: Patrick
0: Moran. All
1: right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Talking Buffalo, your weekday daily driver. For Buffalo Sports Talk and more, I am your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you very much, as always, for locking in whether you're watching us on the video side on YouTube, which if you are, please make sure to like, subscribe, comment on this video. It really helps us grow on the video side or for the majority of you who are listening on the audio side, whether it's Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. I appreciate you very much. Today's episode is presented by Imperial Pizza. And I'll tell you what, besides having... Some of the most elite food that you will get anywhere, literally in the city of Buffalo. They have, and if you're I'm watching this on the video side, so I got to put this shit up. They have the most absurd, ridiculously good lunch special pretty much anywhere you're going to find 11 a.m., 4 p.m., seven days per week. Check this shit out, man. You can get any half sub with five wings or fries. Or a slice with a topping, with either five wings or fries, or a beef on wet or a burger with five wings, or fries, with a pop, or with a a blue light, a Coors light, a Miller light, or whatever. Less than thirteen bucks. You got to be fucking kidding me! Less than fourteen bucks. You can go walk into Imperial Pizza. Any day of the week, 11 a.m., 4 p.m., you could sit your ass down, and you could have a beef-on-weck sandwich, five wings, any kind of wings you want, and a pint of blue light for like 13 14 bucks. Just ridiculous, man. And besides the South Buffalo staple location, 1035 Abbott Road, they now have a second location, 1665 Main Street near Canisius College. So two locations now for Imperial. Who knows? Maybe it'll be three, four, or five over the next handful of years. I certainly hope so. I'm here for it. Plus, I'll keep you people away from my South Buffalo uh, location. But anyway, on a serious note, Imperial Pizza, man, they just absolutely crush it. Great specials. And even more importantly, great food. I mean, you could have cheap lunch specials. But if the food sucks, who really gives a shit? You already know with Imperial Pizza, that's not the case. Absolutely food. So anyway, big thank you to Imperial Pizza for presenting Talking Buffalo today. Uh, We're going to spend some time talking about, I feel, that Sean McDermott, and this kind of was inspired by having Tyler Dunn on my show yesterday, and you all know about his Sean McDermott series, follow-up columns, more on that in just a second. but. I feel like because of Sean McDermott and because of maybe a couple other factors, injuries and such, that there's a couple star players on the Buffalo bills that I feel at least going by what I see on other podcasts or social media, especially Twitter X um, a couple star players that are just kind of escaping getting the proper level of criticism that I feel they deserve for the Buffalo Bills having yet another face plant in the postseason. So we're going to get to that today. Not going to be a particularly long episode. You know what? I say that shit every single time. And then it always ends up being 50, 55 minutes long. So I'll do my best for this to be uh, the episode where I actually say it's not going to be that long and actually hold true to it. Uh, We'll get to that in just a second. Um, For that, by the way, so this drops out on Wednesday. Six days away. Your boy is from going on his first ever cruise. Cannot wait. Uh, Leave next week. We're porting out of Tampa. Going to spend a couple days out at sea. Um, Then that Saturday, I know we're going to be in Mexico. I've never been to Mexico. I've never been on a cruise. I've never done anything exotic in my life when it comes to vacations. Usually if I go up somewhere, it's usually for a sporting event, a football game. Uh, I've been to a couple of WrestleManias around the country, stuff like that, but I've never actually been with my wife on a true vacation excursion. So we're doing that for the first time, going out to sea, Mexico, did a couple more days out at sea. Um, I'll be actually in the middle of the sea somewhere when the 49ers are playing the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Uh, I was, you know, I've talked about it on the show too. It would have been, I would have did it. But it would have been a lot more anxiety if the Bills had made it to the Super Bowl. It would have just been weird watching it on a cruise ship somewhere, but I would have done it because I think it would have made for some really interesting, uh, tales, some content for this show, talking about some of the stuff that went on, on the, on the, on the cruise ship while the Buffalo Bills were in the Super Bowl. So if there's one silver lining that the Bills didn't make the Super Bowl is that I don't have to stress and worry about that because I do not give a shit about the Kansas City Chiefs or the San Francisco 49ers. So I'm going to focus on enjoying the Sunday, which I think that's the last day of the cruise, actually, because we come back to Tampa sometime on Monday. So yeah, I don't really give a shit about that game. I'll just relax um, and enjoy the cruise. If you did not listen or watch Talking Buffalo yesterday, please go and do that. Man, I had Tyler Dunn, not just on the show, but I actually had him here right with me in the studio. And I'll tell you what, You know, I always and I've been doing this show now for close to six years. Average show I would say is on the on the shorter side, 45 minutes, maybe longer side, an hour twenty, maybe even an hour thirty, and even that's kind of pushing it. And I've always been amazed that some of these shows out there, like the Joe Rogan show and some of these others that have these podcasts that are so long. Like two and a half hours, three hours. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. I'll never sit there and and watch or listen to a show that's that long. But I say that, and then if Joe Rogan has like the right guest on, or like for another example, wrestling, something to wrestle with, uh, Bruce Prichard and Conrad Thompson. Sometimes they have these two and a half, three hour bangers. And if the topic is interesting to me, If the guest is interesting to me, I end up listening and watching them, but I always say in my mind, I just could never fathom hosting or being on a podcast that would go for that long. Then I'll tell you what I had Tyler on yesterday. We went an hour and 42 minutes to show, which is probably the longest episode I've had in quite a long time. Not the longest ever, but it's up there. And when the show was done, I'm telling you, my, my first thought was this could have easily been a two and a half, three hour show, because sometimes you just get the right guest and you're talking about the right topics and the conversation just flows and flows. And at the end of the day, you didn't even end up getting to some of the stuff that you wanted to cover. Like this was an, an hour and 40 minute podcast. And I'm telling you, it's worked every minute. Not because of me, because of Tyler. And it could have easily been two two and a half hours long. And I don't think it would have dragged and I don't think it would have gotten uh, boring. And it easily could have been that long. I'll tell you, I, I admire Tyler Dunn a lot and he's went through a lot of shit with Buffalo Bills fans anyway, over the last couple months, admittedly. And he knows this, some of it brought on upon himself. When you post a, an explosive series like he did about Sean McDermott, their reaction is going to be incredibly strong both ways. And he knew that he knew what he was getting into to an extent, at least anyway. And we talked about that a little bit on the show, but that aside, I just, I admire Tyler, not just as, as a person I'm talking professionally here, you know, as a, a great storyteller, a, uh, a long form journalist, and that's just, just a dying breed. And you could tell it is. And I think to to some extent, Tyler knows it and you know, he's fighting the good fight right now. He really is. Cause he's just pumping out some incredible content and it, but it's long form. And the problem with long form storytelling in this society today is that people, myself included plenty of times, you know, we have the, uh, the attention spans of like fucking seven-year-olds. You know, Tyler's article, the three-part series I saw on McDermott that dropped in December, you could call that the greatest piece of journalism you've ever read in your life, Or you can call it a pile of shit. That's subjective. Everyone has their own opinion. But that was like 21,000 words. There's a lot of people who just don't have the uh, the mindset to sit down and carve out what would take at least a handful of good solid hours of reading to, to consume that. And it's just incredible that he he's one of the few people out there that could write something as long as he does. Consistently as he does. And still capture the reader's interest. That's one of my favorite things about Tyler. It is my favorite thing about him on a professional level. You know, in today's society, it's just easier to read aggregated excerpts on social media. You know, you, you take Tyler's article, for an example, and you, you find a couple excerpts on Twitter. You you see, you know, an aggregated report on it. You know, the 9-11 stuff was the, became the focus of the story, at least in terms of reporting as a news story. That's how it was covered. Sean McDermott spoke about it at a press conference 24 hours after the story dropped. And that's just how people consume it. And that's what I hate. And I'm guilty of it myself too. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say, I read every single thing that I have an opinion on because that's not true. I'd be lying to you. But the thing that Tyler kept bringing up over and over during our conversation yesterday, and and he's 100% right, is he didn't mind the criticism at all. What he had an issue with, and I understand, is he has issues with people who just blasted the article because they saw a one-paragraph blurb on Twitter. They didn't read the shit. That's basically what I'm what I'm getting to here. And we do that a lot in society, whether it's sports content, political stuff, whatever it may be, you don't actually read it. You just you're you see the cliff notes version. And then you form this opinion. And I think that's bullshit. I really do. And again, I'm guilty of it as well, too. So I'm not going to sit here and be Mr. Innocent. I'm not. But it's like kind of like with politics, you know, whether you're a Donald Trump guy, whether you're a Joe Biden guy, vote. If you vote, then you deserve to have your voice heard. Whatever your opinion is, whatever side of the fence you're on, voice it. But back it up by voting. Don't. Bitch about one party or one person or the other and then not vote. Kind of the same way when it comes to reading journalism, you know, when you have long form journalism, especially when you evaluate Tyler's article on Sean McDermott, his series on him, the follow up column, after they Loss of the Chiefs, take that content, read it, and then have a voice. Don't not read the shit and then say it sucks or he's full of shit. Or he's a basement blogger, saw a lot of that, a hack, a hit piece. I could keep going on and on with these negative reviews that some people out there had for Tyler. My whole point is read the shit. If you read it, then you're entitled to have an opinion because opinions are subjective. They're not fact, but don't not read shit. I don't even just talk about Tyler. I'm talking about anybody read, be involved, and then have an opinion. Anyway, my whole point was it was a really good conversation with Tyler. We talked in depth about the story. We talked about his process of putting it together. I asked him point blank what his reaction were to people who called it a hit piece, people who say he has a personal axe to grind against Sean McDermott or the Buffalo Bills, just reaction from fans, reaction from the team, uh, reaction from other media who cover the football team or just cover the sport in general, all kinds of really cool stuff with Tyler. We talked about other stuff too, but obviously that's what people I know they wanted to hear about. So that's primarily what we covered. So if you have not watched or listened to yesterday's episode, when you're done with this one, make sure you go back. I promise you, even at an hour and 42 minutes, it it was certainly um, worth it. Which kind of leads into today because Tyler Dunn, has talked ex- extensively about Sean McDermott and him just not seeming to be the guy who's ever going to get the Buffalo Bills over the hump, and the evidence is mounting more and more with each passing year that he's not wrong. But I kind of have this feeling as well. While I agreed, and by the way, on the during the conversation with Tyler, I told him a couple things about the article that I didn't agree with. One of them was. He put a disclaimer early on about the bills not granting him credentials and i and I told him that I felt like that kind of set him up a little bit to uh to have fans think that this became personal because he couldn't get a credential which couldn't be further from the truth uh, but anyway, there were some things as much as I liked and appreciated the article as much as I thought factually it was accurate and I respect the fact that he kind of was like a hybrid writer where he's not just reporting facts and instances and and quoting people sources some on the record some off the record appreciate all that stuff but I mean I agree with everything one of the things I kind of don't agree with not just with Sean but generally speaking is I feel like coaches get too much credit when teams win and I think they also get too much blame when they lose and what really got me thinking about that statement and maybe putting this episode together even more so than Tyler was watching the Detroit Lions, uh, San Francisco 49er NFC title game on Sunday. I watched it on television and my laptop, uh, with me on the couch, I was watching the game, kind of following along on Twitter, just putting some notes down, stuff like that, but I'm following and seeing what other people are saying. And Dan Campbell, who has been an aggressive go for it, go for it, go for it coach, all season long, pretty much actually since he became head coach of the Detroit Lions, get roasted, and I mean roasted by the majority of fans and a lot of media content creators on Twitter for not taking the points and kicking field goals, not once, but twice during this game against Frisco when they had a lead. And I'm like, I get it. You can make a case for that, although my mindset is neither field goal that he passed up an opportunity to get was a gimme. I mean, people are out there making it sound like he passed up on a 32-yard and a 37-yard field goal. It's not the case. I think one of them would have been 46 yards, the other one 48 or even 49 yards, which I think their kicker from that distance has like a success rate of like 45% or some shit like that. So it was far from a lock. But anyway, my point was he's getting buried, and a lot of people are blaming Dan Campbell for the Detroit Lions blowing that game and losing. And I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, all right, you can give him some criticism and some of it's warranted, especially as the offensive coordinator, writing the ball on third down and then them using a the timeout. I mean, that was just absolutely fucking egregious. That was way worse than not going for or going for twice on fourth down and not trying to, to kick field goals. So I'm not saying he's should be without blame. But my point is, I looked at the game and I'm like, you know what? If Josh Reynolds doesn't drop a fourth down pass, if Josh Reynolds doesn't drop a third down pass that forced a punt, if Jameer Gibbs doesn't fumble the first play after the 49ers have scored a touchdown, if, if the ball doesn't go off Kendall uh Vider's face mask and pop up in the air for Brandon Ayuk to go catch the ball, which led to a San Francisco touchdown right after, any of that shit happens. The Detroit Lions are in the Super Bowl right now. That's not on Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell didn't drop a fourth down ball. Dan Campbell didn't drop a third down pass. Dan Campbell didn't fumble. Jameer Gibbs did. Dan Campbell didn't have a, you know, a a surefire interception or at the very least a pass knockdown. Go off his freaking face mask into the waiting arms of Brandon Ayuk. How's that not on the players? How are you not blaming the players for falling apart and imploding in the second half? Just see way too much blame for Dan Campbell and not enough for the players. And and that bothers me because I think it's the players ultimately, especially if they're star players, that dictate the outcome quite often of these games. And I certainly thought that was the case against Detroit. And before I take a quick break, I want to let you know on the other side, Going to talk a little bit about Sean McDermott, and again, numbers don't lie, history doesn't lie. He certainly deserves blame for the Bills continuing to go home year after year after year in the divisional round, the season stalling. But I'm going to point out a couple star players that maybe they're getting criticized to some extent, but I don't think nearly enough. So I'm going to take a quick break. Be right back, and we're going to get right into that Sean McDermott and a couple Bills star players
0: Learn more at Marines.com.
1: All right, we are back here talking Buffalo presented by Imperial Pizza. All right, so listen, I'm not absolving Sean McDermott of uh, for 2023 at all or this entire era at all. I want to be really clear about that. This season, I thought Sean McDermott was lousy through the first 12 games, six and six record. Uh, He was the defensive coordinator of a defense that on multiple occasions, even when the offense was playing shitty, really spotty, especially in the first half of football games, they still gave them late leads. That defense blew. That New England Patriots game immediately comes to mind. That still bothers me all these weeks later. But you lose to the Patriots, inexcusable. You lose to the Jets opening week. The team just didn't seem ready to play. Aaron Rodgers goes down with 4 stamp in a game. You get Zach Wilson in there, and you find a way to lose that game. In fairness, and we're going to talk about it being on players, Josh Allen was a colossal disaster opening week and deserves a shitload of blame. But well, my point is, team just didn't look ready to play. Something was off. The Patriots game, the Denver game, that loss can't happen. That can't happen. They should have beat Denver by three scores. And they end up losing on a last second field goal part two because they they didn't stop the field goal. Denver missed the field goal. The game was freaking over and they have 12 guys on the field. Again, coaching. Coaching, coaching, coaching. So it does matter. The first 12 games, I lost Sean McDermott, was lousy. I hated him after the Philly game. If I was Terry Bagula, I would have fired him after the Philly game. I'm I'm just gonna tell you the truth. To to have a quarterback like Josh Allen and to not even try to score when you might have 20 seconds left, 15 seconds, whatever it may be in a timeout to not even take a stab when you got Josh Allen, that was sickening. I was sick about that game, not going for it on fourth down in overtime where you know your defense can't make a stop to save their life. So lots of shit to be mad about with Sean McDermott. He certainly deserves plenty of blame for even this season. You know, the Bills got on a nice roll, but what they did through the first 12 games cost them probably the top seed, not probably, it did cost them the top seed in the AFC. Maybe that changes cuz I'll tell you what, you don't play Pittsburgh. Guess what happens if you don't have to play Pittsburgh? Jerome Bernard don't get hurt. So, that was a big big deal. So, Sean McDermott deserves, you know, plenty of credit. And then you look at uh I, and also, by the way, I, I want to put this out there too. I think his matches was starting to get stale at some point in the season. That kind of changed after they fired Dorsey. And I think that especially changed after Tyler Dunn dropped his, uh, his bomb on the Buffalo Bills, which make no mistake about it. That team knew about that article. That team reacted to that article. You saw it when they beat the Chiefs. That locker room was electric for Sean McDermott. So I'm not absolving him for the regular season. I'm out absolving him for a couple of playoff blunders against Kansas City. You know, not especially not fighting away. Knowing Terrell Bernard is highly unlikely to play all week. I don't know what the solution is, but I'm not the the, the fucking head coach or the defensive coordinator. But you got to come up with some better solution than end up having pass coverages where you got Travis Kelsey being guarded one-on-one by A.J. Klein. I mean, come on. That's on Sean McDermott. You got to figure out somehow, some way, some, something better. Double him, put Teron Johnson on him the whole game. I don't know. Surrender the run, be lighter in the box. But you got to come up with something where A.J. Klein is never, ever, 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 ever going one-on-one with Travis Kelsey. And look, the numbers don't lie. Not just this season, but four straight elimination playoff losses for the Bills. I'm going to read out the numbers. We did this on yesterday's show. Bills defense, 38 drives. They allowed 16 touchdowns, eight field goals, just four six punts. Six times it was a kneel down or the end of the half, one missed field goal, one turnover. So one defensive turnover in four games. They allowed 134 points, 3.52 points per drive in four elimination losses. They forced a punt or turnover on just 22% of their opponents' drives that weren't at the end of the first half or game uh, end of the game kneel downs. That's just pathetic. His defenses tend to play worse when they lose in the playoffs. That's on the coach to some extent, but this is where I've been going with this leading up to this. This seems just too good for those numbers. This is a roster that's just too good to go out like that. I see these last two years on defense, especially Uh, And I look at the Kansas city chiefs now. And I said, I don't give a shit about the super bowl. And I don't, I don't give a shit if the chiefs win. I don't give a shit if the 49ers win, honestly, but I'm going to lie to you. It's really frustrating to see the Kansas city chiefs in the super bowl right now. This is a team that went to Baltimore last week and scored just 17 points on the road and they win. And they only had three points against the Ravens on their last nine drives. And I think about the Bills' offense against the Chiefs and how well Josh Allen played for the most part in that game, how they sustained drives, how they put up 24 points, and it should have been at least 27, if not 31. And they just could not stop the Chiefs, could not stop them until the very end of the game. Kansas City just scored three points in an entire half or three points on their last nine drives and they're going to the Super Bowl. Really, that that's hard to take. And for me, the biggest reason why the Bills lost to the Kansas City Chiefs is not Sean McDermott. And I know he's the low-hanging fruit. It's easy to just throw this shit on Sean McDermott, but to me, it's the star players. A couple specifically, man. And the difference in the game between the Chiefs and the Bills Quite simply, Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones played like stars. They stepped up when they had to. The moments are bigger in the playoffs. Travis Kelsey stepped up. Chris Jones stepped up, especially at the end of the game. You know who didn't step up? Stephon Diggs. You know who didn't step up? Ed Oliver. You know, that you take the the non-quarterbacks, remove Pat Mahomes, removed Josh Allen from the equation, and the Kansas City Chiefs' two biggest stars are Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones. The two biggest Buffalo Bills stars besides Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs and Ed Oliver. And those guys did nothing against the Kansas City Chiefs. To me, that's the real difference in the game. You know, remember... We're talking about Travis Kelsey. I remember going into the game because there are a lot, and I mean a lot, of Bills Mafia who were begging to play the Kansas City Chiefs. This is their down year. Their offense sucks this year. They've never been more vulnerable than they are right now. I don't want to play C.J. Stroud. This guy's crushing it. He's ascending. I don't want to play the Cleveland Browns. Their defense is elite. They got Joe Flacco throwing a ball over the place. Who could stop Amari Cooper? I don't want those teams. I want the Kansas City Chiefs. And part of the reason was Travis Kelsey. You remember Travis Kelsey, 34 year old, washed his shit. Travis Kelsey, the guy who had 30 catches for 323 yards and zero touchdowns in his last six regular season games combined. Well, then the playoffs roll around and Travis Kelsey has five catches for 75 yards. And not one, but two touchdowns against the Buffalo Bills. This is a guy who now has had 22 catches for 262 yards and three touchdowns in three playoff games. Then you look at Chris Jones, and yeah, he didn't have a sack. He hasn't even had a sack in the postseason. But look, you see the clips. You see the impact he has. Look no further than at the end of the Bills game where it's second and nine from the 26-yard line, and Josh Allen wants to throw the ball in the end zone Khalil Shakir, who broke wide open in the middle of the field, eerily similar to what Gabe Davis did against the Chiefs a couple years ago in the playoffs. The throw's there, or I'm saying the play's there, he's open, the throw's not there. And the reason why the throw is in there is because Chris Jones, who lines up on the edge on this play, bull rushes Deion Dawkins right back into Josh Allen. Josh Allen cannot step into the throw enough, and the throw ends up falling short. That's on Chris Jones. So their stars. Play like stars when they had to. You know, that pass rush, that might have saved the season. That might have saved the season. I'm sorry. Yeah, and I know the Bills scoring. There's still a lot of time for Mahomes left. They, they're down four, though. Who knows what happens? Maybe this is finally the the drive where AJ Vanessa or Greg Rizzo get their hand on a football, pops up in the air, and somebody comes down with the pick. Maybe somebody fumbles. There's lots of things that could have happened. One drive, you never know. You take the four, you take the seven points. You take the four-point lead. Chris Jones might have saved their season. Then you look at the Bills. They're two-star players specifically. Just disappearing acts. Ed Oliver, where was he against the Chiefs? He didn't even have a pressure. Joe Thune 10 times, one-on-one blocking, pass rush opportunities. And Joe Thune won all 10. And this isn't even just this year, by the way. Last year, Ed Oliver, Complete disappearing act against the Bengals at home. Last year, you had the excuse. Jaquan Jones is hurt. They're double teaming Ed Oliver. By the way, a Cincinnati Bengals team that had three backup offensive linemen in that game, they completely dominated Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver was a zero factor last year. And guess what? Ed Oliver was a zero factor this year, too. He didn't do shit. He did nothing in this game nothing. Stefan Diggs, three catches, eight targets, just three catches, 21 yards, dropped that bomb on the last drive. Didn't lose in the game. The Bills still drove down, got all the way inside the 30. And that's when, you know, like I said, the drive fell apart and uh, Tyler Bass missed the field goal. So I'm not going to say Stefan Diggs' bomb cost them the game, but still, He doesn't drop that in the regular season. I bet you 10 out of 10 times he catches that ball in the regular season. Three catches for 21 yards. This is your, this your guy. I mean, come on. Just, uh, it's bad. And it's not just this year for Stefan Diggs. Just like Ed Oliver. You go back to last year's playoff game, Cincinnati, 10 targets. He had four catches for 35 yards. You go to the Kansas city chiefs game from a couple years ago. This is the game where the bills lost. 42-36, arguably the greatest quarterback play game ever between Josh Allen and Pat Mahomes. You know what Stephon Diggs did that game? Three catches for seven yards. Six targets. So in his last three elimination playoff losses for the Bills, Stephon Diggs has had 24 targets. He's only caught 10 passes for 63 yards. And then no touchdowns. That's it. 63 yards combined, and not one, not two, three playoff losses for the Buffalo Bills. That's a problem, man. That's a big, big problem. And I don't think it's being talked about enough. That's my whole thing. That's my whole purpose of today's episode. What Ed Oliver has, I don't want to say done, what he's not done in the playoffs, what Stefan Diggs has not done in the playoffs, I just don't think it's being, it's being talked about enough. I really don't. There's a lot of talk about the, the Josh Allen not being able to connect with Khalil Shakir. There's a lot of talk about the Bills' failed fake punt. There's a lot of talk about Sean McDermott because, again, he's a low-hanging fruit. It's just always easy to do that. But there's not a lot of talk, some, but not enough. When it comes to the job, the lack of what Stefan Diggs and Ed Oliver are giving the Buffalo Bills in the playoffs and look it's not just them two okay there's other good players on the buffalo bills that just didn't step up in the playoffs daquan jones and i know he came back from a major injury he's been back for a few weeks i was waiting for him to make a play against the chiefs a big run stop on Pacheco, a pressure on mahomes that might force him into the pocket and lead to a sack if he doesn't get it himself wait the whole game for that should never happen you know micah hyde I remember the day before the Chiefs game, I went to wing nuts, hung out a little bit with Matt Perino and Ryan but I was talking to those guys and we were talking about X factors and shit like that. And I said, Micah Hyde, I've waited all season, not just this game, but I've waited for Micah Hyde to make a big play because Micah Hyde has made a lot of big plays in his Bills career. I thought that might happen against Sunday. Never happened. You know, these guys just went on the defensive side of the ball, like silently into the night to the Orchard Park, to the coldest shit Orchard Park night. And there's other star players, but I got to give them passes. You know, Rasul Douglas has been a star player who did nothing to help the Bills against the Chiefs, but he was also running around on a hobbled knee to the point that I thought Sean McDermott probably should have given Kyrie McCrack. a crack. Uh, Teron Johnson played, was not a factor. Again, he was on concussion protocol the entire week, no contact at practice. Gutsy of him to even be out there, his second concussion of the season. So I will use the injury excuse to to give them a pass, but it just it doesn't make it any less frustrating, especially when it comes to the star players. Because again, these are your star players. So to to wrap up here, to conclude for today, I I think the Bills' biggest problem right now might be they are regular season dynamo's, like these guys. These specific players during the regular season they're studs you know we talked about all season long Ed Oliver he probably was and I've said this several times I'll say it again Ed Oliver in my opinion was the Bills most consistently good player this season you know, he got the big contract which actually doesn't even seem like that big of a contract now because he had a really good year, four years, $68 million, not that big of a deal. But anyway, Ed Oliver had a fucking fantastic season. He was, he was a stud. Stefan Diggs, at least the first half of the season was a stud. Now his, his production, any went to the playoffs, that shit just started dipping big time in the second half of the season, but still all in all over hundred catches for Diggs over 1100 yards for the fourth straight year guy is a regular season stud. At Oliver, a regular season stud and face plants in the playoffs. I'm stunned. I was stunned to, to, I'm not stunned. The bills lost to the chiefs. Let me put that out there too. And I've said this, I picked the bills to win by four, but I'm not the least bit surprised they lost to the chiefs. I think a lot of people forgot who the fuck is on that other sideline. I truly believe that Andy Reid, Pat Mahomes, Chris Jones, Travis, Kelsey. That team was never going to go quietly, okay? They were there to be beat, and they should have been beat. But I'm not surprised the Bills lost. But I am stunned that Ed Oliver did nothing. I am stunned that Stefan Diggs, for the most part, did nothing. And, you know, Tyler said it on yesterday's show. Players are judged not by what they do in the regular season. Players are judged... Their legacies are made or broken by what they do in the playoffs. So, when it comes to people like Ed Oliver, I guess it's like what level of fandom right now? And look, he's still young enough. One great postseason run by the Bills where Ed Oliver is a factor, and this shit is all a moot point. But until that happens, Ed Oliver is a great regular season player that hasn't done shit in the playoffs. Stefan Diggs is an elite wide receiver. That for the Bills, hasn't really done shit in the playoffs, at least in elimination games when they lose. And if you're a fan and your expectation, your your, uh, your level of acceptance is, this is a fun ride. The Bills win 10, 11, 12 games. They, get, they win the division title. They get a two seed or three seed, whatever it may be in the playoffs, a home game, maybe two home playoff games. And I'm good with that. Then sure, then I get why you're not throwing a little more heat at Ed Oliver or Stefan Diggs, but if your expectation, if your basis of judging the Buffalo Bills, evaluating the Buffalo Bills is them being a team that at the bare minimum gets to an AFC conference championship game, and if that's not what they get to, then you consider the season a bust, then you need to look at guys like Ed Oliver and Stefan Diggs and say, why are you playing good in the regular season and then giving the Bills next to nothing in the playoffs. I think it's it's harsh, but I don't think it's unfair to pose that question. So that's going to do it for today's show. I'm kind of getting in a little bit of a, a mood just thinking about it because I'm still not completely over. I mean, I'm over it for the most part, but I'm still not completely over the fact that I can't help but think that the Buffalo Bills should be playing the San Francisco 49ers right now in the Super Bowl, and they're not. And that really bothers me and it bothers me the most that I think Sean McDermott, who deserves some, is getting too much blame and other factors, injuries, and all these other excuses are being talked about to the end of the earth. But the one thing that's not being discussed enough, in my opinion, is where's Ed Oliver and where's Stefan Diggs when you need him most. It's going to do it for today. I'll be back with Tone Pucks in studio with me tomorrow. Talk to you then.